a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. From CGTN headquarters here in Beijing, this is Global Business. I'm Michelle Vandenberg. Coming up on the program. Strong bonds, China and France vow to deepen bilateral ties as Beijing affirms support to Paris' steadfast commitment to an independent foreign policy. Unleashing potential, China's financial authorities absolutely commit to rebuilding a financial powerhouse, propelling high-quality financial development to new heights. Healthy boost in the Mongolia experiences a surge in its ice and snow economy as the ongoing national winter games not only ignite thrills, but also unleash a cascade of economic benefits. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi has told French President Emmanuel Macron that Beijing appreciated France's independent foreign policy as the pair met in Paris on Tuesday. The two sides pledged to enhance strategic coordination and work together to ensure global stability and peace. Wang Yi called on both sides to lay out plans to develop bilateral ties in the next six years. He said China will continue to open up its market to France. He expressed hope France can provide a fair and equal business environment for Chinese enterprises. Macron called on the two sides to use their strategic dialogue as an occasion to implement the consensus he reached with President Xi Jinping. Tony Waterman has more from Paris. The day started with a meeting between Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi and French leader Emmanuel Macron at the Elysee Palace, the official residence of the French president. And Wang was greeted by Macron's diplomatic advisor, Emmanuel Bonne, before heading into those bilateral talks. According to a readout from Macron's team, the discussions mainly focused on what they called the intensification of exchanges between the two countries, particularly in the agri-food and aeronautics sectors. These are two sectors that have seen a lot of bilateral growth in recent years. Airbus, in fact, just last year said that it was building a second final assembly line in China, doubling its production capacity in the world's second largest aviation market. Macron's team also said that Ukraine was discussed and Macron called China a, quote, key player on the international scene from a demographic, economic and scientific point of view. This is now the second high level meeting between China and France in less than a week. Wang met with his French counterpart on the sidelines of the Munich Security Conference just this past weekend, where he said that both countries should maintain the momentum of development, especially around strategic, economic, and financial dialogue and people-to-people exchanges. This is a special year for China and France. Both sides are marking the 60th anniversary of diplomatic relations, and France was the first major Western power to recognize China at the height of the Cold War, paving the way for other European countries and the United States to do the same. And both China and France in recent weeks have said they'd like to see the relationship continue to develop in the years to come. Tony Waterman, CGTN, Paris, France. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi and the French President Diplomatic Consular Emmanuel Bonnet held the 25th China-France Strategic Dialogue in Paris on Tuesday. Wang Yi said relations between China and France have become increasingly stable since the establishment of diplomatic relations 60 years ago. China and France should strengthen strategic communication and develop consensus on major issues, working together to cope with global challenges.
Bonnet stated that France attaches great importance to developing relations with China and will continue to stick to the One China policy. Under the challenges of international chaos and geopolitical conflicts, the two countries should jointly advocate and practice true multilateralism, resist camp confrontation, and improve global governance. The two sides agree to strengthen people-to-people -people and cultural exchanges and increase the frequency of direct flights to bring more benefits to the two countries. Schneider Electric, a Paris-based global specialist in energy management and automation, is among the companies uh, hoping that the 60th anniversary of diplomatic ties will bring more opportunities in China. For Schneider, the potential lies in China's clean energy push. Midwinter in France and energy consumption is high. It doesn't stop tourism, but how we use energy is increasingly important as industry grapples with decarbonizing. The focus is on reducing how much harmful gases are released into the atmosphere. So more and more we have renewable sources of energy such as wind and solar which are fluctuating. Uh, so they're decarbonized which is good, but uh, if the wind is not blowing or the sun is not shining you can't use it. So in Schneider we are working on solutions for our customers where for example we implement microgrids. Schneider Electric is based in Paris but has a global footprint. It sells its components worldwide, especially those which decarbonize electricity distribution and change the way we use power inside our homes. Many companies are hoping the 60th anniversary of cooperation between France and China will lead to more opportunities. During a tense two years internationally, there are clear indications that both countries want to work together more. Just a couple of months ago, actually, right before the beginning of COP28, um, the China and France launched a, a joint center on uh, net zero, on decarbonization. The, the news went quite unnoticed because it was right before COP28, but I think it's important. And this shows the, the importance of this bilateral relation. Schneider Electric is an example of how French engineering and technology is strengthening ties with many countries worldwide. In China, for example, the company plays a significant role in digital transformation and sustainable development, including energy. That's part of the reason why China's Premier Li Chiang visited the company's innovation center last summer. Schneider Electric employs 18,000 workers in China where they have 29 factories as well as research and development centers. They offer ideas to Chinese businesses and their own automated factories to use low carbon energy. I think there's tremendous work to be done in China in order to move its energy sector from a fossil fuel dominated one to a clean energy oriented energy system. Carbon emissions come in many forms. As cities expand and the population grows, countries face greater pressure to phase out fossil fuels. China's goal is to attain carbon neutrality by 2060. European companies play a significant role in China's transfer to cleaner energy. Globally, Schneider, we are working with our top 1,000 suppliers to help them reduce their carbon emissions by 50% by 2025. 230 of those suppliers are Chinese-based. Paris is known as the city of lights. To keep those lights on, the process of decarbonizing energy has to be faster, using digital automation and high-tech power storage. Yolo with CGTN, Paris. Hi, this is Li Yunqi with the podcast Deep Dive. 
Hello, everyone. This is Zhao Ying with World Today. As the Chinese saying goes, "Jiao Long De Yun Yu, Zhong Fei Chi Zhong Wu." I wish the year of the Chinese dragon brings you strength, courage, and fiery passion to guide your path in 2024. I wish you Yu Yue Long Men, Da Zheng Hong Tu. May the year of the Chinese dragon bring you strength and a bright future. Hi there, this is Yang Guang with the sideline story. As we are sharing the year of the Chinese dragon, allow me to extend to you my best wishes for happiness, cheerfulness, and success. China's top financial watchdogs have pledged their efforts and patience to build the country into a financial powerhouse, according to an article published in the People's Daily. The Office of Central Financial Commission and the Central Financial Work Committee said the fundamental goal of this endeavor is to contribute to China's modernization. The article emphasizes the importance of the financial sector in shouldering the responsibility of strengthening China's financial power. It said China is committed to developing its financial power while. Taking into account the country's realities and traditional values, the article emphasized the need for patience and the multi-stage approach in fostering China's financial ability. It suggests integrating both a target-oriented approach and a problem-solving approach to achieve this goal. Among the seven detailed targets, financial security is highlighted as the top. Priority. The central and local governments will work closely together to address financial risks in key areas and strengthen oversight and monitoring. China unveiled a slew of measures and announcements this week to foster supervision over the country's financial sector. On Monday, the National Financial Regulatory Administration unveiled rating rules over. Alto finance firms. Also on Monday, Li Yunzhe, chief of the National Financial Regulatory Administration, said the regulator will mold policies to shore up confidence and expectations and accelerate closure of loopholes in financial supervision. On the same day, China's securities regulator said it would take opinions and criticisms seriously from all social parties and would put feasible ones into effect immediately following discussions. On Tuesday, the Office of the Central Financial Commission and the Central Work Committee reiterated their determination to strengthen financial regulation with teeth and thorns and enhance the regulation of the regulators. Now, for more discussions on China's financial sector development, let's bring in Chu Qiang, research fellow at the Beijing Foreign Studies University. Good to see you, Chu Qiang.、Uh, so, first, how can the balance between financial innovation and financial regulation be maintained to ensure the stability and healthy growth of the financial market? Well, I think、uh, China right now really paid attention to the balance of the innovation and the regulation. I think this is not a conflict, but、uh, you know, actually, these two factors are going along with each other and support each other. So, first of all, I think the innovation really makes Chinese financial sectors growing very, very fast and very efficient. For example, everybody knows China is the number one country invented the you know the central bank in a digital currency. We have one of the most advanced payment systems, digital finance infrastructures. That really helps Chinese,、uh, you know,、uh, financial sectors to, you know, grow and benefit every user. But on the other hand, this kind of innovation also helped with the regulation. For example, recently Chinese, you know, the uh, CB, uh, CSRC, the, uh, uh, the security uh, uh, regulators are using the AI to, you know, supervise the stock market. Uh, yesterday, there's a great news in here is that uh, the uh, regulator of the security trade are using the AI to spot it, to quantify it, you know, on normal quantified trade and stop the, you know,、uh, 
uh, the uh, very unnormal trade curve to happen in the uh, stock market. And also the uh, regulators are using the topology uh, technologies to oversight the rat hole traders or the inside traders inside of the stock market. And also the digital currencies are helping the banking sectors and the financial sectors to watch over is there any embezzlement of the fund or the over abuse of the other fund in the whole sectors. So I think innovations in the technology actually are helping the regulators and the regulations also are helping the financial sectors to grow in a healthier way. So I think this is going to be the future of the Chinese financial sector's development. Now, what strategies do you think can be implemented to strengthen research and development in financial technology and apply it effectively to enhance the international competitiveness of China's financial industry? Well, I think there are several areas for the research uh, of the Chinese financial sectors. For example, I think number one is the technology innovation. The second is about administration or regulation innovation. And third one is very important is the product innovation. I think Chinese financial sectors have made a lot of breakthroughs in these three areas. For example, uh, in the products of China recently developed many financial product that help the uh, users and investors to make more of the profit while uh, maintaining their stable values in the market. For example, in China, we have onshore and offshore market for the Chinese renminbi investment. This is a very, very unique among major economies. And also, as well as we have the regulation innovations, as we just mentioned, that we'll be using AI, big data, uh, you know, analyze technology to find out, you know, the uh, criminal behavior. And also, uh, I think uh, in the uh, uh, technology side uh, about the Chinese most advanced uh, international payment system, the SIPs, and also the uh, international settlement system, as well as digital currency, are helping not only China, but also international investors and users to use this whole system uh, to benefit from it and maintain the value from it and to keep away the risk of it. So I think this is going to be the future of Chinese innovation in and also administration. Now, we've talked a lot about high-quality financial development. How can this be effectively addressed uh, to promote the progress in China's financial sector? Well, I think uh, Chinese high-quality uh, development in the financial sector majorly focused on the uh, uh, following uh, uh, five sectors, like the uh, uh, green finance, inclusive finance, uh, digital finance, old-age caring finance, uh, inclusive finance, etc. But I think the whole idea of the Chinese financial development is that not only focus on where you can make the fastest and the biggest profit to let the biggest and probably the most risky snowball to roll you know, to very, very big and across the whole system, but you pay equal and balanced attention to every sector. For example, old age caring, for example, small and medium-sized enterprises. They probably are not giving you the biggest profit in the shortest time for now, but if they can grow in an even and inclusive way, and you will get a very healthy structure in the real economy. And when your real economy can keep up with the pace, with the financial sector's development, and you would get away from the systematic risks. So I think what China want to do is to pay this kind of, uh, you know, even and balanced attention to everywhere to make sure the healthy and stable and long-term development of our real economy. And thus, we can deliver a healthy return to our financial investors in the financial system. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for your insights. Always great to have you on the show. Chu Qiang, Research Fellow at the Beijing Foreign Studies University. The world economy as we know it is about to change. Global business reports highlight emerging markets, developing countries, and dynamic sectors worldwide. We feature top analysts and newsmakers to provide perspectives on every facet of business. 
From an on-the-ground perspective, we provide you with balanced and objective assessments. Fast, sharp, and insightful. Global Business. Only on CGTN. China's 14th Winter Games are currently taking place in the northern East Inner Mongolia Autonomous Region. This event has provided a significant boost to the ice and snow economy in the region, injecting fresh momentum into its development. The region now boasts 122 sport fields dedicated to ice and snow sports, which received approximately 4 million visits annually. The influx of sports fans from across the country has not only created job opportunities, but also stimulated local tourism and increase the sale of local products. Ice and snow consumption activities in China are witnessing a huge surge in interest. According to China's online travel platform Fliggy, during the 2024 New Year's Day holiday, ice and snow tour bookings increased 126% year-on-year. The 25th Harbing Ice and Snow World, one of the most popular destinations this winter, received over 2.7 million visits from home and abroad over a 61-day period. According to a report released by the China Tourism Academy, the number of ice and snow tourists is expected to exceed 400 million for the first time in the 2023-2024 to winter season, with revenue reaching around 550 billion yuan, or about 76.5 billion U.S. dollars. Now for more on the development of China's ice and snow economy, let's talk to Dongjun from Culture and Sports at EI Asia Limited. Good to see you, Dongjun. Um, we know that winter sports are getting more and more popular in China. What's the current status of the development of China's ice and snow economy? Michelle, when we talk about ice and snow economy, I think we're talking about the season of winter and all uh, tourism or other sporting activities in the economy that we are witnessing a momentum or something that uh, down the road, I mean, in the coming years of what would that would mean to the national economy. But we are still in the middle or only the second half of this ongoing long, very long winter season across northern China. So numbers are still being uh, coming in and collected while sports and tourism generated activities are still ongoing, I mean, more people are still contributing to the economy related to winter sports. However, I, I think based on data already reported over the last few months and also the momentum we witnessed and observed from last winter, I mean, the, the winter of uh, 2022 to 23, and this one, I think is quite solid that we are witnessing this very, very strong momentum of growth among young people, young consumers from urban areas across China. And this doesn't look to be, you know, wavering anymore or turning back anymore. I think we are, I think this momentum will sustain over the last few months or even, even years. And that's something we are a, a little bit surprised, but very happy to, to receive because China made that promise to get more than 300 million people on ice and snow when Beijing hosted the Winter Olympics in 2022. But that was a very tall order and very big challenge for ourselves. Mm -hmm. But now we are quite relieved that this seems to be carrying on and the momentum will, will keep going. Yeah, yes. and in terms of location, uh, 
you know, and in terms of facility and all these um, events going on, which regions are more developed in China and which regions still show a lot of potential for further development? Yeah, I, I think people would very easily and conveniently, you know, cite Harbin of Heilongjiang because it's really the most the shiniest or most shining star among all the other places, destinations that benefit, that are benefiting from this uh, new trend, uh, including, uh, you know, uh, Jilin neighboring Heilongjiang, which is also very rich in skiing resources that we just heard in our report earlier, and also Xinjiang, all the way across northern China to the northwest, uh, and, you know, where millions of travelers are among them, uh, ski lovers, are uh, heading uh, to the place. I think uh, a number of others are also experiencing this growth. But for this particular season, of course, the northeastern places, destinations like Harbin, are, are stealing the show. Yes. All right. Thank you so much for your insights. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you. Dong Jun from Culture and Sports at EI Asia Limited for us. Trainee doctors from major hospitals in South Korea have begun collective action to protest against a government plan to accept more students into medical schools earlier today, stoking fears of delays to surgical procedures and patient treatment. Our correspondent Su Ming Yu has more from Seoul. Trainee doctors in the Republic of Korea began submitting resignation letters on Monday, protesting the government's plan to hike the medical school enrollment quota by 2,000. Worries mounted as doctors warned of a large-scale strike as the presumed vacuum in the medical system could cause potential disruptions to medical services, with some patients already experiencing delays in surgeries and other treatments in hospitals. Well, here at Seoul's major severance hospital, surgeries have been cut in half. Another major hospital, the Seoul National University Hospital, has implemented a decision to reduce surgeries by 70% for adults and 60% for children. Now, this drastic measure was taken after most of the trainee doctors decided to walk out from yesterday. Trainee doctors at other general hospitals in Busan, Ulsan, Jeju, Gangwon Province, and North Jeollanam-do Province have also submitted their resignation letters. Hospitals across the nation have been stating the inevitability of surgery delays. Some patients and their guardians expressed anger towards the medical doctors who resigned. Urgent patients need surgery. They're emergency patients, lives hanging in the balance. This isn't a railroad strike. It's about holding lives as collateral. Similar collective action by doctors took place back in 2014 and 2020 in protest against issues like adopting telemedicine services and increasing the medical school enrollment quota. But President Yoon reportedly said the government would not surrender to the doctor's collective action this time, different from four years ago when the government conceded defeat. It's to protect their profit, but you can't take patients hostage. The government must strengthen its resolve. A series of measures are being taken to alleviate potential risks in medical care with the government extending operating hours at 97 public hospitals and opening emergency rooms at 12 military hospitals.
We are committed to maintaining the critical and emergency care functions of large hospitals by revamping the emergency response system. Our top priority is to ensure that serious patients receive timely treatment. No major disruption in medical services has yet occurred, but hospital staffers here say they cannot sustain operations under such conditions for more than two to three weeks. As the standoff continues, concerns over its impact on the public and the great risks it poses for emergency patients are mounting. Yusumin, CGTN, Seoul. In Athens, tens of thousands of farmers, many driving tractors, gathered in front of the Greek parliament to show their displeasure over the government's recent announcements that it has no more to give to those working in the farming sector. Evangelist Sipsas has more. Thousands of farmers from all over the country with their tractors and pickup trucks rolled into Athens, putting the Greek capital under siege, complaining about the government's policies to lower farm prices and foreign competition. We are here to demand a better life. We want cheaper diesel for farmers, lower energy bills, and untaxed products for farmers such as pesticides. We want the government to stop importing products from other countries and calling them Greek. We produce real Greek products, not what comes from abroad. Better prices so we can compete with the other market. Farmers from Thessaly, the country's largest agricultural region, are calling for better infrastructure projects to protect them against extreme weather and 100% reimbursement for lost crops, something they say the government has failed to do. We have to face climate change. No organization helps us with compensation. In Thessaly, everything has been destroyed. Farms and crops are gone, and the government said they will receive money in June. Why June? We need the money now. We have no protection, and those that were affected by Storm Daniel will receive some money. But is it enough for them to live? Their farms destroyed? They'll have to change jobs. Their farms have become mud and destroyed. They cannot grow anything. Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis last week offered some relief to farmers by offering to lower power bills for the next 10 years to address their concerns and convince them to stop their demonstrations. But it wasn't enough to prevent them from mobilizing in the Greek capital. Even the main opposition party leader joined the protest and blamed the government for abandoning the farmers. The farmers of this country have been left woefully behind and they have every right to try to survive and to support the primary sector of the economy. And we're here for them and we're not going to apologize for that. Farmers here say they feel abandoned. High inflation and cheap imports from outside of the European Union have been squeezing them. Add to that, no compensation from last September's floods. Resentment is now growing against the government. Evangelos Sipsas for CGTN, Athens. And that will do it for this edition of Global Business. Jamin Berg in Beijing, stay with us.